0: Well, greetings again to all of Turdville. Turd Ferguson here. It's Thursday, and so this must be another A to A presentation, and today is a special presentation. As uh, here at TFM- TFMR, we've recently uh, begun an affiliation with Sprott Money. And to uh, announce that and to kit- get things rolling in this partnership, I thought it'd be great to bring in Eric Sprott himself as a guest for A to A. And so, hopefully, uh, as a listener, you saw your opportunity to submit some questions to Eric, and we will get to those questions in a minute. But first and foremost, Eric, thank you very much, and uh, welcome to Turdville.
1: Well, Turd, very good to be on. Uh, I'm very happy that people like yourselves uh, take it upon themselves to inform people as to what's going on in the world, and I know it's certainly been very frustrating for most of us that are involved in precious metals, but... uh, I think if we all see the course, as you have done, then uh, we'll see our way out of this quagmire.
0: <laughs> it's about all we can do at this point, you know. It, it has been a long, strange trip, especially the last couple of years. Um, j- and just f- so for your background for everybody, I just wrote down a couple of notes. You, you started out with Merrill Lynch uh, some time ago, back in the 70s it looks like. You founded Sprott Securities in 81, established Sprott Asset Management in 2001, and everything has grown from there. What did I leave out, Eric? What are, Do you have any other salient points you want to put on there?
1: Well, not really. Uh, I went from being essentially a salesperson at a brokerage firm to starting my own brokerage firm, and then the asset management business. The asset management business just came out of uh, running people's money, and we we're uh, incredibly successful investors, and so it, it sort of had a life of its own, and uh, Grew to as much as about nine billion of assets under management, wow. and um, we 're way more diversified today. I have sort of specialized uh, laterally since two thousand really in uh, precious metals and of course it's been a wonderful ride. If you go back to two thousand we 're involved then I mean the returns were uh, beyond belief. unfortunately, for the last uh, three years now it 's been a one way uh, downhill situation but um, Hopefully, things will change for the positive very soon, and perhaps very quickly.
0: Economic mother nature has to take over at some point. Andy Hoffman likes to use that term, and I think it, it is uh, right on. Um, and, and before we get started, tell everybody a little bit, if you, if you can, a little bit about Sprott Money because it's 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 not available to just Canadians, uh, correct? I mean, anybody can can go up there and not only buy metal, but you do you store metal for folks as well, Eric?
1: Yes, we store metal both in the U.S. and in Canada. Uh, I really started Sprott Money because I wanted people to have access to uh, gold and silver, Uh, both uh, Canadian coins, U.S. coins. uh, We have some oddball coins from time to time. We have our own Sprott coins. Um, I've been a great believer that all individuals should own some coins because, as I'm sure many of your uh, guests and you have pointed out in in the long run, I think that's going to be the number one asset. So I just tried to create an Internet site where where people could easily purchase and store coins.
0: Yep, and it's terrific, and it's simple, and and the pricing is good, and like you said, you even will uh, vault and store for folks as well, correct? Exactly. Well, it's just great stuff, and we welcome Sprott Money as an affiliate. I, uh, I think we probably should just dive right in. As we record this, it's about uh, a little after 9 o'clock Eastern on Thursday the uh, 16th, and uh, things are getting interesting, aren't they, Eric? I think we ought to just – I'd like to just dive right in and get your impression about what's currently going on. i have just to let you know where I'm coming from. Um, it seemed like back right after the Labor Day holiday in the U.S., everything that was a paper asset from crude oil to, to gold and silver to uh, any commodity all of a sudden really started falling off a cliff. Stocks initially hung in there. But now they're going down too, and the only thing that are rallying that's rallying is a dollar in the bond market, which reeks to me of kind of a deflation bias uh, in what's soon to be the absence of QE. Um, anyway, that's kind of what everybody knows what I think, but I, I kind of want to know what you think. What do you think's going on here, and why suddenly are we uh, are all global markets struggling so much?
1: Well, I think the the uh, most important reason is that it became apparent <clears throat> that the predicted growth. That the world was going to have the economic growth was not happening, and it, it particularly became evident in Europe when Germany comes out and announces their industrial production is down four percent and new orders are down, and all that sort of thing yep. uh, we 've certainly seen the same, some data in the u s you know home sales existing home sales um, We had some uh, reports yesterday about uh, the ISM survey out of, I think it was Chicago, fell broadly. There's been a lot of data which suggests that the economy is very punky and not going to fulfill uh, those expectations of the the bullish persuasion who just think, you know, we're going to have 3.5% growth every year, and we rarely do. And it's promised every year... Whether it's a tw- 2011, 12, 13, and, of course, you always get to the end of the year and nothing really significant has happened. And I think, you know, my basic premise is that uh, 70% of the population is under terrible financial duress because of cost increases and uh, lousy... Uh, pay levels, yep. and that the the likelihood that there's any economic recovery is, is very, very minimal. So I think the growth concern is the biggest thing. <clears throat> then I think, you know, the fact that we've we've uh, ending uh, money printing might have others concerned that, you know, if the Fed's not in there supporting things, then maybe the market will fall apart. And of course, when we ended, you know, uh, phase one of that, the market declined, phase two, uh, QE3 is now just ending, and, and it looks like the same result is occurring, that the market just goes down without the the hand of the uh, central planners in the market. <clears throat> and then we have the third item, which is the Ebola situation. Yeah. I wrote an article about Ebola about a month ago called Ebola, the tipping point. And most people don't seem to understand the law of numbers and of course, the law of numbers is it looks like the Ebola is um, growing at about 100% every three weeks. Well, you just don't want to take that down the line six months and see <laughs> where it... And then I think uh, perhaps another unsettling factor is perhaps what appears to be the gross incompetence of the U.S. government and the, and the healthcare care system and, and other governments who have allowed people just to fly willy-nilly around the world. Is uh, is truly shocking people and wondering, well, if these are the bozos that are running things, how good can it actually be? So I think the the combination of those three items are are what set the uh, the market off here. Now, of course, we're probably getting some technical signs that things are breaking down. I mean, there's lots of articles available on the the web of a technical nature which suggest that you know things are falling apart, whether it's your Hindenburg omens or you know the the russells had such a big correction which is typically a precursor of the dow and the s&p going down i don't pretend to be a a technical specialist but i think those things are starting to have uh, have some force here
0: yeah it, kind of a cumulative force it would seem uh it has helped gold to catch a uh a little bit of a safe haven bid to begin with at least and any eventually, I would imagine gold would begin to price in an eventual resumption of of this overt money printing too. You know, there was a lot of fear. I was even well, I was about fifty-fifty myself, thinking that they might try to run the stops below 1180 uh, about two weeks ago. What do you think now, Eric? Do you think um, 1180 is and and somewhere down around 1617 is a is a kind of a permanent floor for the metals? Do you or do you fear kind of a another paper slash and burn event by the by the bullion banks.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, it's very difficult uh, to have a, a very short term view on markets because the markets do strange things. And, and as many of your uh, listeners and guests have suggested, there seems to be things at work in the market that, that don't seem to make a lot of sense. And if you go back to first principles, you know, printing money and zero interest rates are just ridiculous. Re- Ridiculous economic policies. Mm-hmm. I mean, intended consequences are just immense. Somehow, seemingly, the market has skated through all of that. Um, but there are ends of the spectrum that that suffer greatly. I mean, we have the whole <clears throat> retiree community who can earn nothing on their money. We have all these people coming out of college who get crappy jobs, and we have the people in the middle whose income is not going up. So there are huge effects of this. And I think we're, we're seeing that play out here. Um, I think one of the reasons that, I mean, I believe that the, the central planners had a hand in the 2013 smash of gold. I wrote an article in 2012, late 2012, asking the question, do the central banks have any gold left? Mm-hmm. Because it seemed to me from my analysis of supply and demand, it was very unlikely they had much gold left. So I didn't find it that surprising, retrospectively, that in 2013 with the raid, there was something like 800 tons taken out of ETFs, yep. to tons of gold. And I think those 800 tons were needed to satisfy the difference between demand and supply. And, and it's very easy to come up with uh, demand figures that are way beyond mine supply and recycling. And even, for example, I, I've been very critical of the World Gold Council because they say that China is consuming a thousand tons of gold. We read this week that people from the Shanghai Gold Exchange say they consume 2,000 tons of gold. Well, you know, an extra thousand tons of gold on the 4,000 ton market is not a small matter. <laughs>
0: That's exactly right.
1: And uh, I suspect that that raid had to uh, take place in order to satisfy this demand. So now, here we are now, reasonably uh, robust demand in Asia. Uh, you would have seen that the demand for coins has started to uh, spike up here. We've had uh, good sales in both the Perth Mint and the U.S. Mint that are, have provide that information. I know that dealers have told me that here in Canada, the Royal Canadian Mint is on allocation of silver coins. So uh, I think the response by people, and particularly when they look at the whole Ponzi economics that are going on, is that you will see a resurgence in gold buying. not that we should need it but maybe the the paper guys finally realize that you know their day of controlling the market is coming to an end and perhaps we could talk about that in terms of you know where the silver market stands <clears throat> there's lots of evidence that the day of reckoning is coming here
0: well and, and that is that's as you might imagine that's some of the questions that the that the listeners wanted to ask Let me, i mean i kind of Go off in the direction that you were going there for a minute, though, uh, and that is the GLD, and and we'll kind of relate that back to your funds, uh, PSLV and PHYS. Uh, but the G, yeah, I'm in that camp too, Eric. That that the price was rated so that they could shake gold out of those uh, stores, those inventories, if you will. Um, but then we got folks like Jim Rickards and others that say that no, 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 you know, that it goes the other way. That there was an arbitrage opportunity. And the metal was coming out, uh, so to satisfy this this physical arbitrage. Uh, but it sounds like you're more in the camp that uh, because of the global demand and and the lack of supply, that that was why price was rated back in in 2013.
1: That it was necessary, yes. That yeah. we needed the gold in order to stave demand because g- gold demand has been totally understated by the, the work of the World Gold Council, in my opinion. Yep. And, uh, you know, I can almost come up with, you know, 2,000 tons more of demand than there is supply. Well, central banks back in 2000 only had about 18,000 tons of gold. So you take it out 14 years, you know, the likelihood of there being much left is, is very low. And perhaps the most uh indicative thing of that is where, you know, when Germany asked for, you know, they had something like 1,300 tons stored theoretically at the New York Fed, and they said we'd like to get 300 tons back. And they're stonewalled, yeah. and they get five tons. And if anybody just logically says, hold it now, I have 1,300 tons lodged there, and I asked for a quarter of it back, and I'm told I'm going to get it in seven years. I'm only given five tons in the first year. Something is really wrong with that.
0: Yeah, and, then, and I'm supposed to get the exact same bars back that I gave you, but yet I'm going to take those same bars now and reassay assay them and, and recast them yeah, that something is rotten in Denmark. Have you, As this relates to your funds, have you seen this in one of the listener questions? Have you seen the same level of redemptions? Uh, because you offer redemptions, you offer physical delivery to, to holders of PHYS and PSLV. Have you seen that same level of redemptions coming out of your funds?
1: No, we have not seen the same level of redemptions, uh, particularly our silver fund, because it typically, typically trades at a premium, so there's no arbitrage there. But we have seen some redemptions in our uh, PHYS. And quite frankly, I'm really happy to demonstrate that when people want their goal back, they can have their goal sure, back. Sure, yeah. The great features of of the PHYS. Uh, but we haven't had the kind of redemptions relative to anything that's happened at the GLD. And, and then, for the most part, we have typically traded at a premium. We're trading at a very small, small discount. And I think the people that are redeeming are actually using that little Half a percent uh, discount to Arb gold, and it's not really uh, people who who are trying to get out of the gold position. It's people that just are putting on an Arb.
0: Yeah, it, it, when you when you mention that premium that PSLV has been at, I I remember times back in uh, 2011 when that premium would get up to I mean 25 30 percent, Eric, and you know where there were some questions at the time as to whether that was a metric that people could look at uh, as they try to figure out some level of physical scarcity. Um, what do you think about that idea? I and mean, it's back down now to where it's, you know, it fluctuates between, it seems, 1%, 3%, 4%. What do you think of this idea, though, that the premium on your fund is kind of a reflection of physical scarcity?
1: Well, I think there's probably a lot of truth to that, that you know, our premium's gone up recently. Uh, I think there's good reason to believe there's a shortage of silver here. Um, I mean, I find it very ironic when I look at what happened in 2013 in India that couldn't buy as much gold as they used to, came into the silver market and took an extra 18% of the market, and yet the price went down. And I don't think in the real world that could happen in any commodity that kind of a new participant just comes in and grabs 18% of the market and the price goes down, which again shows this dichotomy between the, the paper market and the physical market. And, of course, the same thing happened in the gold market where from 2011 to 2013, the Chinese came in about an extra thousand tons of the gold market, 25% of the gold market, and the price went down. Yeah. So again, these are all signs that there are two markets out there, and one is the paper market and one is the, the physical market. And one of the things that I fear that's going on in the financial system today is that uh, the commercial banks have huge... Uh, money, power, and I really do believe that they can orchestrate uh, things moving in a certain direction that help their trading books. And as an example, you know, most people who, who get involved in options in gold and silver tend to buy calls, and which means the premiums being earned by the uh, the selling commercial bank. So the and because the bets always seem to be on the long side, the tendency is. Therefore, to have the price go down so you can just scoop these premiums off the table um, every three months. And I think the converse was true in the stock market where most of the portfolio managers were getting jittery and they're all uh, buying puts. And therefore, it was best to have the market go up because then you'd take all that off the table. And I think if you have enough money and enough people working together, you can cause the market to do exactly what you want it to and just rape and pillage. And I think that's a big part of the market today.
0: Yeah. no. You want to
1: call that a market.
0: No, that's right. That's right. And with all the all these derivative products and the leverage they provide, I kind of thought we saw that yesterday. I mean, it's pretty easy for the plunge protection team just to kind of put on a few trades that influence the HFTs, and all of a sudden they get the desired result of a bounce here, you know, and some support there.
1: You know, it's just whenever I, look, whenever I think of the central planners being in the plunge protection team being involved. I mean, if I was at the PPT, and I wanted to turn the market around. I put down an order to buy the S&P futures. I put it in the slowest pipe I can find. And you know, you probably don't even have to buy anything because all the HFTs can be front running anyway.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, that's right. So you get the FF HFTs to do your to do your work for you. Exactly. You may never have to spend any money. And I think that's one of the reasons that we out this high frequency trading because it can be used as a tool. All you have to do is sort of faint and order and, and People move something in a particular direction. You didn't have to spend any money. Exactly. So I think that's why it's been allowed to continue, even though we know it's egregiously unfair to the average investor.
0: Yeah. One, um, just to cut, I guess we'll call it one more question about about your two funds, because this is probably the most popular question that uh, I, I see kicked around all the time. They say, when is Eric Sprott going to add to those funds, or when's he going to do another one? Because so many of us remember. The introduction of those funds and, and, and kind of tie it mentally to the, the charging bull markets, you know, of 09 and, and 2010. Um, are, 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 do you have any plans to add to those portfolios? Are, are, there, are there certain conditions where it's logical to do it? Uh, I've seen it written that the funds need to be at a premium to, yeah. to, to NAV to make it work. Um, yeah. Do you have any plans at this point?
1: obviously, as a person who believes in uh, physical ownership for precious metals, we would like to see those funds grow. Uh, you need a certain premium on the fund in order to pay the broker to do the underwriting. Right. Um, we're kind of at that range where we could do something today, But the other important ingredient you need is you need to see the buying coming in where you can sense that people want to buy. The fund, and you know yep. maybe we're getting to that point here today when you can kind of see the the money interest coming back into the precious metals as uh, the stock market's waning and people may be sitting there to hold it now. So everybody told me stocks are great and I'm there and now I'm getting clobbered and maybe I really should have been going to gold and maybe we'll get this kind of migration from stocks over to precious metals. Which it's interesting that precious metals have been strong while the market's been weak, which is exactly what we'd expect to happen so if you if you feel that happening then the likelihood of uh, coming out with some sort of issue of course increases but i would say we're not there but who knows i mean maybe in a couple of weeks if the market keeps going down and precious metals keep going up then i would love nothing better than to go out and you know buy a significant amount or try to buy a significant amount of silver because i think that there's not much silver out there
0: so in the end it's kind of a I mean, it's basically a business decision. You've got to be able to, to fill it out. You've got to be able to sell the shares if you decide to go out and, and do a secondary or do a new fund.
1: Right. You gotta, your timing has to be right. And, I mean, I would love to be able to do it. You just have to have, you know, the, the sort of right fuel to, to launch that. And I, I'm sure all your listeners and readers uh, would want to see us buy more silver and take it off the market. Uh, as you properly point out, the last time we, or the first time we did an issue, I mean, it was hard to get that silver in. And I'll bet you it's getting hard, we'll be getting hard to get that silver in again today. You know, you look at what's happened to uh, the Chinese silver inventories, mm-hmm. you look at the backward of silver in China, you look at the open interest that's outstanding for the month of December in the silver contract. I mean, it's just a mind boggling number. And I don't pretend to be an expert on the clicks. Not that anybody can be, but you know, when you have over 590 million ounces that are coming due literally in about five weeks, and I think the dealer inventory that I read that it's like 70 or 80 million ounces, I mean it's just a staggeringly disproportionate uh, ratio there, so it'll it's going to be interesting to see that play
0: out. Absolutely, no, no question about it. Uh, hey, you're being very generous with your time. So, I, but I wanted to kind of keep moving on to some more of these questions. Um, let's talk about the miners for a second. They've been obviously at levels not seen now since 2008 and before that 2005. Right. Uh, the sector in general, I guess we'll kind of divide this into several questions. Uh, How do you feel about the sector in general? Is there, uh, I guess, a a point at which, a price point that a lot of miners start to suffer? I mean, we talk about sustaining costs or production costs. Uh, And then lastly, why is it, do you think, that so many mining CEOs kind of take all this laying down? I mean, so many of us see the clear manipulation of price by the banks or just a handful of trading algorithms, yet the mining CEOs seem to not necessarily have their heads in the sand, but they just seem indifferent to uh, the fluctuations or what might be the root cause of these fluctuations in price.
1: For the most part, uh, mining CEOs are mining people, and they're not students of the financial markets. And therefore, they don't spend the time analyzing the data. Some do for certain and take action. I noticed that first Majestic decided they're not going to sell any silver here, which was announced, I think, yesterday the day before, mm-hmm. uh, which they've done before when the price goes down. And, um, and I, quite frankly, I wish there were other CEOs. And, of course, I've spoken to lots of CEOs, and I guess so many of them are kind of living hand-to-mouth hand these days with the prices where it is that they can hardly imagine not selling their product into the market. But I do think uh, that there should be a way better response from the mining industry. I would have hoped it would have come from the World Gold Council, but I don't think that's going to be forthcoming from the World Gold Council. I mean, if they just naively believe that Chinese demand is a thousand tons when it's really two thousand tons I mean what's the point right. i mean if if you don't realize an extra thousand tons, you don't realize there's a shortage and and start that investigation well who's supplying the shortfall that's the big question who's yes. supplying the shortfall but if you don't if you won't, can't even figure out that there is a shortfall, which everything out there suggests there is. How, can you, how are you going to rally people to do something about it? And, and that's one of the big problems with the industry. I think they use the World Gold Council as their spokesperson and uh, I don't think they use the right data. So um, it's unfortunate um, and it's very difficult in mining these days, but I mean, I can tell you that I've been a buyer of these uh, mining company shares. I was very fortunate to that I was a huge buyer of mining shares in 2000. I got to experience that 13 to 1400% increase in the price of shares from uh, 2000 to 2008. Um, I can easily see that happening again. I mean, we are so sold out in this market. We are so overbelieving in some kind of economic recovery or that the central planners know how to take care of things, even though it's but by the day, and perhaps uh, Japan's the best example, I mean, it's just a disaster. Yeah. It's been going on and on and on and on. They buy their own stocks now. They buy their own bonds now, and the markets fade on them. And it's just, it's not a winning strategy. So I, I'm a huge believer that we could yet see another very solid rise in, uh, in both the precious metals, and, of course, in particular, the stocks, which are way more leveraged. Uh, to the price of metal, I mean, you'll probably get at least, I'm going to guess, three to one performance, outperformance of the stocks versus the metals. Now, you still got to get by this standard manipulation stuff that's going on, and maybe maybe the whole uh, falling apart of some markets here, and probably the most disconcerting thing is what's happening to European bonds as we speak, right? Yeah. Now. All of the bond yields are really spiking up. You can imagine the loss you're taking it when a bond goes from, let's say, yielding 2.2 percent to 2.5 percent in a day. Yeah. <laughs> that is not a small loss on a bond. No. Um, and be- between the stock market going down, and then some of those uh, the uh, bonds, the more peripheral countries, and then of course in the uh, the high yield area, uh, yields have spiked as well. So you got a big part of the the whole financial arena. That is suffering here, and perhaps it will take uh, some of the powder away from those groups of people who seem to be intent on moving things around at will. That they won't have the firepower anymore.
0: Yeah, and and, and kind of wrapping up on the miners. You know, I'm you know again, history would suggest, especially from this levels, you know, these kind of levels of the the Hui index and that kind of thing that. It's far more upside than downside from here, but to participate, you've got to be in a miner that is actually still going to be around, going to still make it through this storm. I mean, you're an analyst by trade, really. That's where you come from. As For an individual investor trying to pick their own miners you know, to, to ride out of this thing, what do you think the key metric is? I mean, what, would, what, would, what do you think folks should be looking at if they're trying to find companies that will make it through the storm and then will be around to participate in the next rally?
1: Well, of course, the key thing is other things being equal, and at today's price, the cost of production, right? I mean, if you can produce your gold for less than 1000 all in, you can still make $240 an ounce. Yep. It gives you the wherewithal to survive. If, unfortunately, your costs are, you know, $1,400 an ounce, you're, you're, <clears throat> you're losing 10% on every ounce you're selling. Um, but I think in terms of, you know, advising people where the gains are, I happen to believe the price of gold should go up substantially. And, and when I even imagine $2,000 gold, I mean, the UE index that is today at 190 or so, I mean, it'll go to 600 so fast, it'll go beyond that. It'll go to new highs. Because if you ever get to 2,000, everyone realize, okay, the whole experiment failed. Yeah. There, there was only one place to go, and it was the precious metals. And that's what I expect will ultimately work out here. I'm not saying it'll happen today or tomorrow, but it seems pretty obvious to me that uh, that is the safest place to to make investments is in the precious metals area
0: and look at from a minor perspective it's at cost of production just to see you know how much pain you can endure in Uh, in
1: terms of the safety element that you preface that with in terms of performance (laughs) this is going to sound like a strange thing you always want to buy the guy with the highest cost mine and I'm presuming now the price of gold goes up of course if you know, a guy's production costs are 1400 and it's at trading at 1240 He's losing money. At 1600 he's making a couple of hundred bucks, and it's like night and day. Yeah. That's where the real uh, multi-baggers are, is the guy who's kind of on this, the fringe here, that a little movement in price will tip them back into profitability. I'm not s- suggesting that's where people should invest their money, but there's no doubt that's where the most money is to be made on a price rise.
0: Yeah, yeah. And having lived through it, you, you should know. Um sure just i guess as we kind of begin to wrap up um the, the last couple of questions i have kind of de- have just kind of deal with what we've been through um it is, i guess the right what the right way i want to phrase this is is that, you know you and i and so many others have just been uh, painfully wrong for the last couple of years we thought price would keep on going up and instead like we said uh it's been driven lower uh, I think you and I both understand why and how it's been driven lower. Um, but besides that manipulation, um, wh- what do you think the key – why ha- Why did things reverse in 2011 and 12? And I guess if, if – uh, the reason I ask that, I guess then if we know why they reversed, we'll then know what to look for to have them reverse and have the bull market resume.
1: Well, I think the reason they reversed in 2011 is – they just couldn't have gold go through two thousand and silver go through fifty dollars, because it would have set a huge precedent here. Imagine if silver had gone through fifty; I mean, people would be calling for you know huge numbers on the upside. Mm-hmm. And of course, the commercial interests were hugely short uh, the contracts at the time, and they had to put an end to it. And they, you know very well. That between the cme and the dealers and with all the margin rate increase and the six dollar decline in one day they just set the stage for a wipeout and they created it i mean it was all it was all orchestrated i mean it seems so obvious to me even then why do we have all these margin rate increases so quickly as the price is going down and they, and they just they yeah. they took over the markets and ended it. and i'm when you think back to when silver was at forty nine fifty we're trading like I think it was over a billion ounces of silver a day. Well, we only produce eight to nine hundred million a year. I mean it was just phenomenal every time I think of the guy pressing the button to sell there's no relationship between him having any silver it just it couldn't possibly happen right so i and I think that you know trying to keep the dollar together, trying to keep the economy together it it, it was deemed that having gold and silver go down I probably was with aid in the bet for sure interest rates going down which was a very critical part of trying to hold the economy together yes that's really what we've done we have just held it together we held it together by making money cheap borrowing easy so people could buy houses people could buy cars and and that 's how they 've been able to hold it together we that and the, I think the two other big stimuli were well let 's lend the students all the money that they want because they 'll spend it, and let 's put people on food stamps and you know from lower interest rates and those fiscal programs, we held it together, but that 's all we 've done. We just held it together, and now ultimately it will fall apart here and that 's why, for example, when I look at the response to ebola i could I saw very early that the powers that be did not want to raise any concerns about Ebola because if it if it went its the course that one can expect, it's devastating for the economy, yeah. and this economy can't take it. Right. If suddenly you knock one or two points off because people don't want to travel, they don't want to stay in hotels, they don't want to go to crowded places. Oh my God! Look at the problem you have. Yeah. It's interesting. You talked to the mother nature of economics, and I find it so ironic here that we we've had the central planners, you know, figuring they got everything under control, and along comes Mother Nature, yeah, <laughs> and and deals a hand that they can do nothing about.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's the. Uh As I often say, it's not the suggestions of uh, uh, supply and demand. You know, it's the laws of supply and demand, the laws of economics. You know, you can kind of, you can kind of work in your theoretical world for a little while and distort everything, but eventually it all. Sakes itself back out what into that to that end, I guess it kind of leads to the, the last question I had from the subscribers uh what is the financial end game do you think for gold and silver? what will finally bring about a change in the global monetary system and uh, and an elimination of this paper game? I mean is it overnight kind of a an overnight oh, event?
1: I've always worried that I might have to write a report, say we'll be right one day with emphasis on the word one day, yeah. <laughs> That you get this terrible revaluation, they shut down the financial markets. And, you know, as stocks should plunge, they just don't, they don't even trade anymore. And if I say you're right, but you can't do anything about it, and everybody seizes whatever money they can, and the game's over. Now, yeah. I'm not suggesting that will happen here. Um, but I, I think that what one has to watch for is, like, I know if just any thinking human being knows based on the U.S. government data that the U.S. government is broke. Yes. Their, their gap deficit every year is $6 trillion. They get a $17 trillion economy, let's call that the machine or the engine. They lose half a trillion to a trillion a year on that. And then, then they come along and their their obligations went up by another $5 trillion. Well, I can guarantee you that $17 trillion machine or engine can't deal with that. And it's only a matter of time. It's like looking at Detroit. We knew 10 years ago it was broke and 9 and 8 and 7 and finally they say they're broke. Well, because the obligations kept rising and no one did anything about it. The same is true of the United States and many, many other countries. It's, you know, you just, everyone promises everything and they can't deliver. So when I look at countries like China, who, are, who where there are not, brand or Russia, anybody with a thinking hat on, they must know what the eventual outcome is. They have to know that. Just as you and I know what the eventual outcome is and what do you do to offset it? Of course, what you do to offset it is you don't want to own obligations of these countries that have have dire financial situations and you want to turn to something that's going to hold its value to it. The Chinese have encouraged their citizens to buy gold and silver and real things and and the, the companies go around the world buying real things. And that's a logical outcome of what we have to look at every day. So I think someday we're going to see a non-delivery of metals, and the game will be over. The paper game will be over. Mm -hmm. Whether or not we end up with some kind of revaluation, my guess is, for example, let's say a lot of people stood for delivery on this December contract. You know full well that the CME is going to come in and say, no, we're going to have a paper settlement. That's what's going to happen.
0: Yeah yeah
1: but the gig will be up, you know, but it but it, those those people who let's say we're buying it from twenty two down to seventeen knowing full well they're going to take delivery, they're not going to get delivery. they'll just change the rules just like they did in the days of the hunt brothers. they just change the rules to, to have people not profit,
0: but at least your existing stack will be worth a lot more at that point and and that's kind of the final question i get and I get asked this a lot, and so people want to know what uh get an answer from you. I mean, what what ultimately do you think you'll do with your personal stack? Cuz obviously, I think we all assume you're sitting on your per, a lot of personal wealth in physical uh, precious metal. Uh what ultimately is the plan for your personal stack? Do you convert it into the next monetary system? Do you, you save it for posterity? What, what ultimately is I, your end goal?
1: I'm guessing that uh I mean, I would never sell it. Uh, the, the reasons you might sell it would be one, one of three things. One, uh, the price goes absolutely crazy, and you realize that it's getting into a, a state of hysteria. Who knows where that is? To, that could be fifteen thousand. It could be, you know, fifteen million. You know, if you get into hyper replacement just terrible mm-hmm. scenario, and everyone was going to the same place. Uh-huh. Um, I, the other scenario is. You know, if it truly was made convertible, truly and honestly, then of course you wouldn't need to own it. Uh, if, if you could believe people saying, well, if you convert now, we'll give you the right, if you, you know, send us a million dollars, we'll send you a million dollars worth of gold or silver, then you might do something. Um, but other than those two scenarios, I can't see much reason to ever think of selling gold and silver because they are money right You know it's just like having money in a bank. I mean you sell your money in the bank? <laughs> I don't think people think that way. I just think of it as it's money and why would I want to sell it and of course the worst thing is, particularly um, well for a lot of people if you sell gold and silver I mean you're selling money then you have to pay tax on it.
0: Well, that's true too. You
1: yeah. don't want to be doing that. I mean that is just would be a horrific thing to have happen to you if you've actually been right that it is the money it is the money to survive. How can you put a tax on money? Thank God they have a couple of states in the United States where I think, you know, where you're allowed to own these things. and You wouldn't pay tax on it when, if and when you sold it. But I don't see a situation where I'm likely to sell gold and silver. With, with one other exception, I might sell gold and silver to buy stocks, precious metal stocks. Yeah. That might make some sense if you're just looking for a little more leverage. But I think it's something that everyone has to have a lot of. I've never sold an ounce of gold and silver. In fact, I just bought some silver two weeks ago, I guess, uh, down around 17 in and a bit. Because uh, you can kind of read the tea leaves that this price shouldn't be here, if only from the mining aspect. I mean, if mines stop, stop producing um, and, and there's less exploration, less development, uh, we're going to have less production looking out to 2015, 2016, mm-hmm. 2017. Could be skyrocketing because of the the Asian influence, and perhaps a few people even in in, in the developed world realizing, okay, these financial markets are getting kind of wonky. I got to go somewhere safe, and I think we're seeing that now in the
0: markets. Yeah, it certainly seems to be playing out right in front of us. Uh, Eric, you've been extraordinarily generous with your time, and and I want to thank you for. Spending all this time with us and it's just been a tremendous amount of information you've given us. I want to though move on to our final four. It's kind of a tradition here in these A to A's. I just four quick questions, you know, that you can usually answer in maybe a one word answer or a, a sentence, but it gives everybody a little chance to have a little fun. If you're ready, I'll I'll lay the first one on you. Fire away. All right. Uh the Toronto Maple Leafs missed the playoffs last year. Four seven. <laughs> Yeah, they haven't won. So the, what? what else is new, right? Apu. uh They haven't won the Stanley Cup in in uh, in my lifetime. Well, I, was it 1967? It was 67.
1: All yeah. right, so I
0: was one uh, when yeah. that happened. Uh, are they at least going to make the playoffs this year?
1: I have no idea. <laughs> I have <laughs> no idea. Based on their history, no. <laughs>
0: fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Now, in uh, in looking up your bio, I find that you're a member of the Order of Canada. Which is kind of a prestigious thing, um, if if no one's ever looked it up before, it's kind of a cool deal. Are you a uh, companion, an officer, or or a member?
1: Uh, I think I'm a companion.
0: <laughs> hey, this, you got the prettiest ribbon then to wear when?
1: Uh... I I was just made a member of the Order of Canada, uh, literally about a month and a half ago, and it really was for philanthropic reasons. Okay, it right. wasn't. They, they rarely champion business people. It's more people who who give something to society uh, whether culturally or academically or in the health field uh, or through philanthropic things and I've been lucky enough to be successful and and been able to uh, assist a lot of people in that Yes, you have. Me.
0: Yes, you have, and uh, and you've done a number of wonderful things. And I was going to mention that earlier. That's another way that you can uh, divest, at least at a, at a high, some of your metal. Maybe you can give some of that away to some of the causes that you support. I suppose. Um, th- question. I, no- I, go ahead.
1: I've made donations in metal. <laughs>
0: yeah, I would imagine. I would imagine. Question number three: I've never been to Toronto, um, but I hear it's beautiful, especially this time of year. What's the best restaurant in Toronto if I ever come?
1: Okay, I can only tell you what my favorite restaurant is. It's a restaurant called Harbor 60. It's a steakhouse. It's in downtown Toronto, and it's a sort of an upscale place. Um, that's where I go when I want a special occasion.
0: Harbor 60. I'm writing that down right now. I would imagine probably down by the water, huh?
1: Is very Well, it used to be right on the water, and, of course, they pushed the shoreline out, and it used to be where the Harbor Commission was. <laughs> it's now, of course, been converted, but... Um, and it's about 100 yards from the water now because we have all those big condos down there. So,
0: Uh-huh. Yes, of course. Well, increase the tax base. Um, and this last question is kind of fun. And it gets to – this might take a little a slightly longer answer because it gets to the current distortion of the gold-silver ratio. But if, if you and I were sitting in Harbor 60 right now having a uh, Bloody Mary for the time of day that it is, and I, uh, I handed you 13 uh, U.S. $100 bills – Yep. Would you rush out and buy one ounce of gold, or would you buy seventy ounces of silver?
1: I would buy the seventy ounces of silver, no doubt about it.
0: So, what is driving that distortion, then, Eric? We'll just wrap up with that. I mean, it, it, that from a historical perspective, uh, it is really out of whack. What, why, why are we there? Do you think? I
1: think the distortion is that. Uh, The commercial bankers got on the wrong side of the silver market. And, of course, a fellow named Ted Butler has discussed this at length, and I I love the work that he's done. And until that situation has corrected itself, and it's very close to correcting itself as we look at the makeup of the the Comex market today, uh, that they have had a huge hand in knocking knocking the price of silver down. And um, I think... Once they can cover their position and, and, of course, convince all the technical funds that it's going lower, which they seem to be doing today, and get the technical funds on the wrong side of the market, then everything will reverse itself again. Now, of course, there's one other aspect to it that they don't think about, and that is just some physical shortage, which someone says, I, I couldn't get delivery. And believe me, Turd, if we were to do an issue for the silver fund and, I, and we didn't get full delivery, everyone would know about it in a big hurry.
0: Yeah, I would imagine. I would imagine. Well, we'll see if we can do something about all that and drive some buyers for that baby when the time comes. Uh, Eric, thank you so much. It is, has really been a pleasure to get a chance to visit with you. Uh, again, I want to encourage everybody to check out Sprott money and, and also you, you, uh, have your newsletter you put out every month. How can everybody sign up for markets at a glance and that type of thing to stay on top of, of your latest perspective?
1: Well, will just go to com and, uh, we publish those, and, and all back copies are available electronically. So, And it's a very interesting read, by the way. I mean, I look back at some of these things, and I remember calling the NASDAQ top in 2000 and the housing top and the, the meltdown in 2008. And I wrote my favorite article of all time was, uh, uh, what the hell was the title? Uh, Surreality Check, Dead Men Walking. And it was written in 2007, and it said the following companies are broke. Fannie, Freddie, Citigroup, General Motors, and they all had pretty big market caps at the time, but it was obvious where they were all going, and, that, and that's just from a, a numbers analysis. You had to look at you know the trends that were going on, you could see what was going to happen. So, and I sort of already looking back at my Ebola article, I think well you know that was a pretty timely article yeah. that uh, you know months ago, not many people were thinking about it, but I tell you one thing, everybody's thinking about it today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been a great pleasure to visit with you, Eric, and I hope we can do this again at some point in the future. Um, maybe, you know, if we're all quarantined, you know, looking for something to do, we can always, you know, visit by phone.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Well, Dirt, I, first of all, I want to compliment you on all your work. It's great that uh, people like you take it upon themselves, particularly in these trying times, to stay the course, advise people, be logical, and um, support them staying for the final win here, which I'm sure we'll all experience.
0: Eventually, thank you, Eric. It's been a real pleasure, and uh, I hope you have a hope you survive the rest of this week. And like I said, I hope we can do this again soon.
1: Okay, Jared, all the best.